Well, with Valentine's Day approaching and our obligation to do something for our loved ones, the question is, how will you say, I love you? Will it be that you'll get a pound of chocolate and say, here, dear, I love you? <laughs> or you'll buy some flowers and hope they'll last a few days before they die? Or maybe you'll find that perfectly worded card from Hallmark that some professional writer wrote, but expresses your thoughts just fine. Well, there always seems to be that challenge. How can I say I love you? Well, I went on the internet and I found that there's a book entitled 10,000 Ways to Say I Love You. And I started looking through the table of contents. There were just too many ways, so I said forget it. But more so than how will I say I love you, what happens if a person doesn't say it and you were expecting it? Does it bring to mind some doubts then? Maybe that person doesn't love me. Even more importantly, what do we think about God and his statement, I love you? And does he? Might there be some expectations that we have the way that God should express his love to us? And if it doesn't happen, maybe we wonder if he does really love me. As we go on in our series of messages entitled Doubt Busters, we want to look at some of those things that have, we have doubts about God. Last week we talked about how we should handle those doubts, and today we want to take that message and apply it to this topic of God's love. And when we do that, we're going to see that we will know that God's love for us is real. Now last week, our account was talking about doubting Thomas and that event that happened right after Jesus was raised from the dead, a great event, and yet he had doubts. Well, today our event is going to focus on Peter and what happened with him around that same time with Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection and a few weeks later and some of the doubts that Peter had. Now, isn't it interesting that you take those great events in Jesus' life and you see a response from believers of doubt? Well, let's find out how we can know that God's love is for real. Let's hear about this event that goes on between Jesus and Peter. It's a few weeks after the resurrection. The disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee fishing and they just caught another miraculous catch of fish. Jesus was there on the seashore. And they pull in now, they have breakfast with him, and then there's this intimate discussion between Jesus and Peter entitled, Do You Love Me? When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, Jesus' question was particularly worded that way because right before Jesus was crucified, he had predicted that, and his disciple, or Peter especially, said, all these other guys may deny you, Lord, but I never will. 
So he was comparing himself and boasting how he was better than everybody else. Of course, we know what Peter did then. He denied the Lord three times. So now Jesus confronts him. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I care about you. Now, Peter used a completely different word than Jesus had used in his question. Jesus asked, do you really love me? And Peter responds back, well, you know I care for you. Here's Jesus' response to him then. Feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, he said, Lord, you know that I care about you. Jesus told him, then be a shepherd for my sheep. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you care about me? Now, Peter was grieved because Jesus asked him the third time, do you care about me? And he answered, Lord, you know all things. You know that I care about you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Amen, amen, I tell you. When you were young, you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. Now, Peter turned and saw the disciple Jesus loved, meaning John, following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? You follow me. An interesting conversation between Jesus and Peter. Do you love me? Have you ever done that thing, you know, with a, a flower where you <laughs> pull off the petals? He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And not a very scientific approach to knowing about love, right? Now, I don't think anybody really relies on that. However, in doing that, it is bringing to mind what may be real. The question that sometimes we have, does that person really love me? Now, I don't think we would do that same thing with a flower in regard to God's love. But there are some things that do cause us to doubt God's love. Let's take a look at what some of those things are. First, the struggles that we go through in life, the hardships. Now, we're talking about Peter here and, and his conversation with Jesus after the resurrection. But there was another time when Peter was struggling with Jesus' love. The disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee fishing. 
when suddenly a storm arose. A very violent storm. And the ship is rocking back and forth. And the Bible describes waves of water overtaking the ship so that they thought they were going to sink. So the disciples run to Jesus, who's in the back of the boat, sleeping. And they say to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? How often don't we sometimes ask that question, huh? Faced with some hardships, with some difficulties. Lord, don't you care what I am going through? Now Jesus gave them an answer that indicates where that kind of a question, where that doubt comes from. Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, he was telling us that the root of our doubts is a lack of faith. Therefore, the solution to our doubts is a stronger faith. Peter understood from this, as probably many other incidents in his life, what doubts can do to your faith. And it's interesting to note that in Peter's first letter that's recorded in the Bible, he's writing to Christians who are going through difficult times. They're being chased out of their homes, out of their cities, out of their country because they were Christians. They were being persecuted. And he writes to them words of encouragement about what they're suffering. He says, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You see, he understood what it's like to struggle, and how that affects your faith. We know that too. We often think that, well, if I'm a believer, then life is going to be just great. Everything is going to be fine. There won't be troubles. There won't be hardships. And, and if there's temptations, I'll be so strong and I can defeat them. That ain't so, is it? Hardships still come our way. And so do those hard temptations. There's another thing that can cause us to have doubts about God's love in our life, and, and that is the suffering that we go through. And by that, I mean the physical ailments, the physical suffering that we experience. And the person in the scriptures that comes to mind so easily when we think about that is Job. Now, Job was very well off. He was very blessed. But then a time came when through natural disasters and through crime, he lost all that he had. He lost his property, he lost his herds, he lost his servants, even family members were killed. And then the devil strikes at him more, and he is now afflicted with sores all over his body. His wife comes to him and gives him this advice. Are you still maintaining your integrity? You know, are you still loving God? She says, just curse God and die. Be done with it. Then Job's friends come to him and try to bring him some counsel and comfort. And they tell him, you know, Job, you're, you really had some bad stuff going on in your life, and that's probably because you're bad with God. 
you've done something and you've got him angry. You need to fix it. Isn't that the way we think sometimes? That those bad things that happen to us are because we've been bad? One day, uh, Jesus and his disciples met up with a blind man. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? So you see, that's the big struggle for Christians. How is it that if we love God and have a loving God, we experience those difficulties, that pain, that suffering? How can a loving God permit that? And so we begin to doubt, does God love me? And like the disciples' statement here, it also reveals something else, that there is guilt inside of us over our sin. And because of that, we maybe think, God doesn't love me. That's what Peter is struck with now as Jesus is talking to him. Peter had denied the Lord three times. Now three times Jesus asks him the question, do you love me? And the word Jesus used was that word you might be familiar with, agape. Do you have a strong, self-sacrificing, unselfish love for me like you boasted? And Peter didn't. And Peter, no doubt, was maybe feeling some guilt over that. And as the Lord was asking him three times, he's getting frustrated. Why are you asking me three times about it? Maybe he's thinking, you see, Jesus doesn't love me because of what I've done. King David, as he reflected on his sin, said that too. I admit my rebellious acts. My sin is always in front of me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and I have done this evil in your eyes. So you are justified when you sentence me. You are blameless when you judge me. And so for those reasons, sometimes we doubt God's love. Have you had some struggles in your life? Have you gone through some storms? What ex sufferings have you experienced? And I know you have sin. We all do. All those things, all those experiences of our life can simply add up to this. Doubts. How could God allow this? Why would he do this? How could I ever be loved because of what I've done. Last week in my message, I told you we need to first learn how to deal with doubt. And I gave you a simple ABC formula. First of all, answer that doubt with fact from the Bible and with faith in what it says. And then believe that what God can do, believe that over against what the doubt is telling you. 
understanding that God's ways and his thoughts are way beyond our ways and thoughts. And that God can do anything. With that then, you can change that doubt into a blessing. So let's take that formula, A, B, C, and let's apply it to this doubt of, does God really love me? And what we're going to see is a simple truth. I'm going to state it this way. God says it. God means it. God does it. Would you repeat those three phrases with me, please? God says it. God means it. God does it. Okay, so let's now look at the doubt of God's love because of struggles in our life and attack it with this truth. God is present in my life in order to assure me of his blessings. Because the fact is, he never abandons us. Listen how God explained that through the prophet Isaiah. Listen how he describes the struggles, the experiences we may go through, and the assurance he gives us. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That's fact. And you want to see that played out? Let's go back to that account of the disciples on that Sea of Galilee when there is that storm. They're doubting, don't you care about us, Jesus? And here's what Jesus did, who was with them. He stood up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And immediately the wind ceased and there was a great calm. God says it. God means it. And God does it. When the disciples had experienced that, they expressed their faith in him. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? You see, what God is teaching us is simply this. He never abandons us. And though even though we might go through our struggles, he's there for a purpose, and that is to strengthen our faith. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews in the Bible talks about the hardships that we go through life, and he calls it discipline. Not punishment, but discipline. God is discipling us, drawing us closer to him, making us stronger in him. Here's what he says. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts 
as his son. So endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. So when we face those struggles, let's treat it with fact and faith that God is there and he's strengthening us, drawing us closer to him. As somebody expressed it, I'd rather go through the storm with Jesus than sail through life without him. That's the truth, huh? Let's say it again. God says it. God means it. God does it. All right, well, what about the suffering that we go through then? How can I handle that? Let's be reminded of God's providence, that is, his control and his knowledge of all things in order to bless us. The fact is, he tells us all things will work for our good. We're all familiar with that passage when Paul says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. All things, not just the good things and the great things, but even those bad things and those tough things, God is working for our good. We see that exemplified in, in the life of Joseph from the Old Testament, who was you know, beat up by his brothers, sold by them to a, a group of slave traders. He ends up as a slave in Egypt, and then he's falsely accused of sexual harassment and thrown into prison for several years. But God was working his plan. Through the gift of interpreting dreams, Daniel then was released from prison because he had predicted what God had told him, that there would be a great famine in the land. And so Joseph is elevated now to a, an official in the Egyptian government. He's in charge of gathering food and grain together for seven years so that when the seven years of famine hit, they have plenty of stuff in their pantry. In fact, so much, even the people of Israel come down to Egypt to get food and are preserved and grow as a mighty nation, a nation through which God would bring a savior to you, God works all things for our good. So Peter reminds his readers, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And you know what Job said to his wife's bad advice? Shall we accept only good from God? and not the trouble? Because, you see, God works through all things to bless us. And that gives us the faith then to say, nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. The Apostle Paul said it so well when he wrote, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors means those things are now defeated and they now serve us. So Paul could go on and say, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, 
neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's say it again. God says it. God means it. God does it. And regarding our sin, that doesn't stop God's love because his forgiveness removes the sin and he accepts us as his children. He welcomes us back into his family. There Jesus was on that shore and welcomes the disciples to him. The process was simple. He wants us to acknowledge our sin and to come to him and trust him for the forgiveness that he won when he gave up his life, when he died under God's wrath, taking the punishment for our sin, and that he now gives us his righteousness so we stand holy before him. The psalmist said, He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, and my friends, those two never meet. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Peter admits that when he tells Jesus, you know that I care for you. I have weakness, I have sin, and I fail. But I believe in you. And God forgives, accepts us back, and calls us then into service for him. He told Peter, now you go feed my lambs. Now you go shepherd my sheep. Now you feed my sheep. He wants us to take that forgiveness, that grace that he has given us, and to give it to others. You see, we're not damaged goods now that God simply casts to the side and will deal with later. We're not people who he rejects, but people that he calls into service to shepherd his people. The young, young in age and young in faith. The weak, the struggling, the strain, the fallen, the sinful. They're all his. And he wants us to gather them. Last week I asked you in my message if uh, you were tired of hearing about stories from my prison ministry, my work with inmates, and a lot of you said, no, no, we love hearing them. Tell us more. Well, I'm not going to tell you any story today about inmates, but I want to tell you why I tell you those stories. So that you see what God's love can do to a person. Now, we might think our lives are not like those inmates, but the truth is we all have that same need, a real need, to be loved, to be reassured by God. And we all have that same love because we, because we have that same loving God. So no more doubt. Let's know that love. Let's hold on to that love. And let's share that love. Amen.